Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Witherslack Group, experts in special education and care, and John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Hello, everybody. Everybody's just entering the room. Probably the non-football fans here. Uh... <laughs> Wait, it's been a big match is tomorrow, man. The big match is tomorrow. <laughs> Come on, really? England World big match? Uh, don't know about that. But... <laughs> okay, well, you, I'm going to have to hold you carefully there because I am sat in Swansea oh, wow. while I do this. So, yeah. For us... I, I don't mean any offence. It's a big match. For us, it's a big match. Well, you're going to have to beat I England know, 4-0. Uh, so uh, <laughs> good luck. Maybe Bell will come. You know, as I said, look, I'm not even lying. I feel think Gareth Bell is the greatest clutch player of all time. Like British clutch player. If you thought of a player like a Michael Jordan who always seems to come up with the right answer, Gareth Bell. So if anyone can do that, then it will be Gareth. So uh, best of luck. Cool. All right. Thanks, man. I'm <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Hello. 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 Hello, everybody. Hello, people. I know people are filtering through. I know it's the World Cup. I know people are watching the matches. But in the words of that great, great philosopher, Sean, Jay-Z Carter, you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. So thank you very much for ignoring the fact that Cristiano Ronaldo of Portugal is playing Luis Suarez's Uruguay, for ignoring the feast of world football that we are currently enjoying. And being with, why do I sound like Boris Johnson? Yes, you know, get it done, Brexit. Yes, you know, oven ready. I sound like Boris Johnson there. Oh, I've got a request. All right, go for it. Who is requesting? I am rubbish with technology. I don't know what I'm doing, but I will try. Yes, nah, I've worked it. It's Leon. This time I have control over the door. <laughs> Leon, you may speak, sir. I think I've unmuted you. Or maybe somebody else is taking control uh, of the door. Uh, hello. Hello, Leon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I just put request to get it set up for later. I didn't mean <laughs> to like I didn't mean to jump in. I, 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 I don't fine. I don't like the way this works. I don't like the way this works. But just hello and thank you for putting this on. All no, right. it's it's absolutely fine, sir. Thank you. I've got control over the door. Last time it was literally I felt a bit naked. I felt like, you know, 
You know, like them when you go on holiday and you're in a hostel and you're, you know, just anyone can yeah, walk in yeah, or around. Yeah, yeah. So at least I've got control <laughs> over the door. All I'll right, tell you then, what nice but good, thank you, Liam. We'll <laughs> chat later. All yeah, right, yeah. so so thank you very much. So no, thank you for everybody. Very, thank you very much for filtering in. This is Carl. For those who do not know me, I'll, I'll start now. I'll start the official conversation now. My name is Carl C. Pupe, FRSA. I will be a bit bougie when I say that, my title. So I'm a fellow in the Royal Society of the Arts, and I'm very proud of that, being an East Londoner, East London boy. And I am an educational consultant now, uh, former teacher. I don't teach full-time anymore. And I'm the author of a book called The Action Hero Classroom Management Made Simple. And that's number one that came out in 2019. And um, I am the author, I'll be very pleased to let all of you know, of another book called the very imaginatively titled The Action Hero Teacher 2, Teachers of the Lost Class, which is coming out this Friday, Friday the 2nd of December. So I am very proud. I feel like it's having like a second child, you know, so I'm very, very proud. And uh, my specialisms are SEMH, which is social, emotional, mental health needs, and dealing with SEN students as well, special educational needs as well. Been teaching for over a decade now. I've got a bit of gray in my beard. It started off with one, but it, they just swarmed. They invaded my beard. They invade. I sound like a conservative minister. So they invaded. They swarmed my beard. They're not welcome here. They're not welcome. Yes, I can say my white hairs are not welcome on the shores of my beard. I can actually say that with pride. So I've been. <laughs> I have to make myself laugh. I've been teaching for about 11, 12 years. And I've put all my experiences in that book. So welcome and thank you very much. The room is filling up. So thank you very much. Um, feel free at any time. Uh, it's very interactive if you want to speak. If I say something particularly enlightening, particularly engrossing, or if I say something damning, horrible, I want you to come in. I want you to interrupt me. Think of it almost like the Houses of Parliament. Instead, we've got Tom Rogers, who's the speaker. He's the speaker of the house. Well, actually, should, should I say Teacher Talk Radio is the speaker of the house. <laughs> so I'll be Madam Speaker. Mr. Speaker. So feel free to drop in at any point. So let's start. What is it all about? Why have you joined me? Why are you ignoring the football? Why are you ignoring one of the greatest players that have ever lived playing football right now? The greatest player who went to Piers Morgan and absolutely wrecked his club. But it doesn't matter. I'm not a Man, Man United fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. So he could do whatever he wants. What we're here to talk about, ladies, gentlemen and people, we're here to talk about exclusions. OK, slightly more serious subject. So I did a show at the top of the month. Uh, talking about schools of the future, but this time I'm doing a show all about exclusions and that is an area of specialty. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to start with the really boring stuff first, which are statistics. We all love statistics here. You know, unlike Michael Gove, who said, we don't believe in the experts. I do, you know, that might make me an enemy of the state to Michael Gove, but I don't mind. I don't mind. I'm a rebel. So I'm going to start off with some... <laughs> I'm going mad, I'm telling you. I'm going to start off with some statistics and then I'm going to tell you a story and then I'm, I'm going to open it up to a couple of questions or discussion points. If that is okay with you. Sorry, I'm just checking. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Gareth. I appreciate that. I've seen your message just now. I am totally rubbish at technology. Outside of my iPhone, I really can't work anything anymore. I've just become just an old man. I'm just an old man officially now. I won't tell you how old I am. I'm a millennial. I'm the older part of millennial. That's all I want to say. So let's start off with some really boring stuff first. And then I'm going to tell you a story, which will be more entertaining, but tragic. So what is a permanent exclusion? Let's talk about it. What's, let's start with the simple stuff. Let's start with the simple things. What is a permanent exclusion? So according to the government definition, a permanent exclusion 
refers to an, a pupil who's been exited. I love that word, exited, like he had a choice or she had a choice or they had a choice. Exited from a school and is not permitted to return. The only way it can be overturned is usually uh, via panel, via the governors, but usually they don't get overturned. So because I'm a nerd and I like statistics, I looked at a couple of things. And um, according to the official data going to the government website, because we know the government website is so trustworthy, but I trust them on this. The, <laughs> the exclusion statistics, um, they were basically saying, so they were, um, I looked at the trends and they were saying that um, it, permanent exclusions have been dropping over the last couple of years. So 2018 to 2019, it was 7,900 permanent exclusions across the country. And I'm actually quite surprised. I, I would have thought it was more, but hey-ho, schools are really good at a job, I suppose. So only 7,900 exclusions across the country. That's 2018, 2019. We'll do it like seasons. In 2019 to 2020, it was 5,100 permanent exclusions. Okay, so it dropped by about 2,000. And then in 2020 and 2021, it was 3,900. But guys, like Salt Bay... We have to take it with a, a lot of salt. I'm sure you know who Salt Bay is, that guy that sprinkles the salt on the steaks. Okay, we're going to have to take that with a pinch of salt because can anybody guess what happened in 2020 and 2021? That's a rhetorical question. We all know what happened. That is, we're, we're in the midst of the terror that was known as COVID-19. Most of us were locked down unless you were super rich or maybe Andrew Tate who boasts about not being locked down. But anyway, let's not mention that name. I don't want to get myself cancelled. But... Um, Yes, so uh, 2020 to 2021, it was only 3,900. And obviously, we're still collating data for what is coming in the current years. Now, I looked at the data across the board again, and um, I wanted to find out why. So it, on this government's uh, uh, website, well, the government website, should I say, it mentions why. why. What were the main reasons why exclusions happen? So exclusions overall have uh, decreased, according to the government, from 0 0.06 to 0 0.05. So that's one in every 10,000 students in the country will receive a permanent exclusion. Secondary schools have higher rates of exclusion compared to primary schools, with seven out of 10 exclusions being in secondary schools compared with primary schools. I've just, it's so nice. I had to say that twice. OK, so we tend to find that. And again, looking at the data, you do find from year two going up to year six, it slowly increases. Now. This is where it gets really interesting. So the five biggest reasons for permanent exclusion are, drum roll please, well, no drum rolls, but the five biggest reasons were, number one, coming in at number one, the first reason was persistent disruptive behavior. That was 25%. So one in four permanent exclusions were persistent disruptive behavior. And feel free to guess and add some comments in as well if you know what is going on, sorry. Yes, yo, thank you very much, yo. What's going on, Liam? Sorry, I'm getting these messages late, by the way. So anyway, I shall carry on. So number one, 20, um, at 25% persistent disruptive behavior. That's tw uh, 25%. Number two, physical assault against another pupil. And that's at 15%. So physical assault against another pupil. Number three, physical assault against an adult at 7%. I was quite surprised with that one. Physical assault against an adult, 7%. Seven, 7%. And the other two that came in, uh, my maths is really poor. My, I, I don't know. I didn't, the truth is, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take the percentages down, but they were quite low. Uh, another reason for uh, coming at number four, drug and alcohol related. So if somebody brought their cranberries and vodkas to school, that's not a good sign. They get excluded. And number five is property damage. So looking at this, what this tells me 
as an uh, SEMH practitioner, an SEM practitioner, is that this is got this is a, when we look at these statistics and we break them down. What it points to me is it, it points at two things. Number one, the ability for the young person to regulate themselves. So there's a problem there. So if we're thinking about you know, the first three is to do with interpersonal relationships, right? Okay, so it's the ability for the young person to regulate themselves. And, and number two is the ability to resolve conflict and have healthy interpersonal relationships, which is absolutely important. Now, again, put it in the comments or feel free to come up if you have a comment on this. But I would say, both as a teacher, uh, and but more recently an education consultant, a lot of schools are struggling in dealing with this in terms of emotional regulation. Across, when I speak to my, my clients and when I speak to other teachers and my peers, I think most people agree. And in fact, there was a tweet which I retweeted on my, on my Twitter profile. Most people agree that behavior has got worse. I have to say, even when I came back off lockdown, when I was teaching in a school, the behavior got worse. And the reason being, and again, because I put my SEMH hat on, the reason I can honestly say that is because of trauma. I think that um, when we look at COVID and we look at the lockdowns, we have lived through one of the most traumatic events of modern, modern times. The only event that was similar, which was a global event, was obviously World War II. And again, we did not all share the same experiences. When people talk about lockdowns, so, so, so <laughs> I'll never forget when Sam Smith was crying, saying it was how bad it was you know, with, in, in, during lockdown for him. And I'm not dis, dis, discounting it. I don't know his situation. But I would suppose look, being under lockdown in a mansion is better than being under lockdown when you're living in a two-bedroom flat and there's 10 pupils. And that was a real story from my school. I won't mention the school or the pupils, but one of the pupils um, I was informed had a, uh, developed a lot of mental health problems because they were stuck in a, in a two-bedroom flat with 10 people. They've been complaining to the local council to get them moved for years. And obviously when lockdown happened, it was just like, you need to stay put. What, how did, would this affect people? When we're looking at, you know, what's come out after the cost of living crisis you know i can't believe it they're actually putting security tags on uh, uh pints of milk can you imagine so the same way they put a security tag on jack daniels they're putting a security tag on milk lure pack is seven pounds seven pounds for lure pack can you imagine you know before i used to like my bacon butties but now that's becoming a luxury apparently it's becoming a luxury so we've got the cost of living crisis um, inflation has increased, people's wages are not increasing. Um, they call it the winter of discontent, discontent with Rishi Sunak. Um, what Rishi Sunak, the current prime minister, has to deal with because teachers are thinking of going on strike. Nurses are thinking of going on strike. Railways are thinking of going on strike because it is really, really difficult. And what effect, what effect does that have on our children? Okay. And these are the things that we have to take into consideration, ladies, gentlemen, people. But why, do, why is exclusion so important to me? I'm going to tell you a story, okay, about the power of education and why I believe that, controversially, we could be doing a lot more to help young people not be excluded. So I'm going to tell you a story, okay? Once upon a time now, I won't start a story like that, but it's a serious story. So about seven years ago, uh, seven years ago, 20, I'm trying to do the quick maths in my head, 2014, yeah, 2013, 2014. I became a NEETS coordinator. For those who don't know what a NEETS coordinator is, or a NEET is, a NEET is a person who is not in employment, education, or training. So usually these are young people who have been thrown out of school and they cannot, uh, either they ref um, 
So yes, you have a managed move. We all know that where basically it's like a loan. I call it permanent loan. But anyway, but these young people have been excluded from school and they can't go to a mainstream setting. What do we do with them? As we know, by law, they have to be in some form of education until 18. So they end up in alternative provision. And being a NEATS coordinator, my job was to, uh, I was the first and last line of defense to help them to get in some form of education, employment or training. Because statistically speaking at the time, and I think it's probably still the same, there were, if they did not get in some form of employment or training, they're 85 to 90% more likely to get involved in antisocial behavior. What does that mean? Antisocial behavior meaning being victims of or perpetrators of crime, usually violent. We're talking about trafficking, sexual exploitation. Um, We're talking about drugs. We're talking about all the not very nice stuff you don't want for your own children. So my job was to kind of help them and, you know, either through things like ASDAN or BTEX, try and get them in some form of employment or education so they don't have such bleak life outcomes. So you can imagine I've been teaching for a while. In fact, I was a freshly qualified teacher in my particular realm and I landed this big job as a NEATS coordinator. So I thought, happy days. I've done it. I've made the big leaks. I felt very, very proud. I felt like those footballers that were coming out to the national anthems at the World Cup. So when I went... Um, I was working in a particular centre in East London. Now, this centre was honestly, I called it half school, half prison. Everything was maglocked. I don't know if any of you have ever seen a building like that. Everything, I mean, everything and everything was maglocked. You go through the front door, that was maglocked. Then you go and speak to the person at the window. And then you go through the second door, which was maglocked. To go to the toilet, it was maglocked. The classrooms were maglocked. And I was like, when I first started, I thought, my goodness, what are they keeping in here? Is there a xenomorph in here? Is there some form of alien beast that they're trying to keep away but I, I realized that uh, they needed those maglocks because the young people that we we're dealing with were some of the most troubled in, uh, in, in London I worked in a place called the Isle of Dogs um, so the Isle of Dogs Heron Quay or South Quay is right next to Canary Wharf so every single day I used to go on that little DLR train next to Canary Wharf uh, next to Canary Wharf which was the uh, it's the beacon of financial of fi- the financial might of the UK the, they called it the financial capital of Europe. I don't know about that anymore since, since Brexit, but it was there. But literally two stops away was some, one of the most de- deprived areas um, in the country, um, the Isle of Dogs. And at that point, um, a quarter of all acid ta- attacks took place in that particular borough. So it was interesting times. So this was, I think, the second or third day that I started. So I tried to put all these things in. And I'll never forget, the manager came to me. So the course director and the manager came running up to me. Like, they greeted me at the door and they never do that. And it's like, Carl, quickly, got to talk. I was like, what? I was like, what the hell's going on? What was happening? So they took me into a room and they explained the situation. And they were basically explaining to me that a young man who was not part of our particular cohort was stabbed to death. Now, I was thinking he's not one of our, our, our students, but the reason why it was a big concern was because a lot of the students, that was their friend. So he was stabbed to death about 100 meters from his home. He was chased down, brutally killed. He was murdered. And at the time, we were working with um, the youth offending team for Matrix. So basically, these are um, initiatives which are um, uh, funded and facilitated by the Metropolitan Police to try and prevent crime. So they were on the way. So the issue was he died last night. The young people there were very, very distressed. And the police were basically saying, so they were wrong for advice. These young people were really, really upset. They were really, really deeply affected by what happened. And they said, we've got to keep these young people here because they're going to try and retaliate. And unfortunately, what you tend to find in these particular situations is um, people know who perpetrated the crime. People know who the killer is, usually. 
And again, sadly, from my experience, we know. But obviously, people wouldn't... No, I shouldn't say obviously, but particular communities or uh, particular groups of people might not talk to the police. So these guys were talking amongst themselves, saying, look, we're going to do this. We're going to do a ride out. We're going to sort that out. So they, they were going to send one of their um, police advisors to come to the centre. And our job was to try and keep them there as much as long as possible. So I had my lesson plan in my hand. I had all the things in my hand and I thought, this is not going to work. So I remember walking in the room and the room we were in, we were in the media suite. So we had all like music equipment and stuff like that because we were going to do like a multimedia lesson. It was a bit more flexible when I was an East coordinator. And I remember these young people, they had their hoods over their heads. They were crying. So they were about 16, 17 year olds. They were angry. There were about 10 of them. There was about at least just under a dozen of these young people. So I remember for about a minute or two, I was quiet. You could have cut the tension in the room with a knife. And I thought in my head, what am I going to talk to these guys about? What am I going to do? So one of them come out. One of them said, listen, move out of the way. We're going to go and find this guy. Move out of the way. I'm going to find him. And I said, so I was standing near the door and I thought, I can't even block them. Right? But I said to him, all right, what are you going to do? He goes, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go and find a guy and kill, kill him. Let's call his friend James. I won't use his real name. Right? So he goes, we're going to go and find the guy that killed James. And I said, okay, then what? You, you're going to kill him and then what? I said, then you, you'll end up, somebody, you know, you've killed the killer, but the killer's family and the killer's friends are going to want to come and kill you. How's that going to prevent anything? Because we don't care. We don't care. So in my head, something told me to ask him. I said, what was James like? I don't know who James was. And he's like, oh, James wasn't even like that. James was a cool guy. He wanted to go college and all them type of things. But because he hung about with them, it was a case of, we can't get to the guys we want to get to, but that's his friends. So we're going to kill his friend as an act to show that we're, you know, we're coming for them. And I said, I remember saying to them, I said, they were telling me about James. James's uh, mum was a single parent. She lost her only child, blah, 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 blah. And I said, do you think James would want you to go and kill these guys? Do you feel like James would, you know, James's mum, do you think that's what she wants? What do you think you're going to do? What would you want to do for James? Like you said, James was a good guy. And I'll never forget, they were like, you know what? We're going to look after James, James's mum. We're going to do all these things for James. We're never going to, you know, um, you know, we're going to always remember him. So I remember at the time I said to one of my colleagues, I was like, open up the studio. These guys were very interested in music. And I said, you know what I want you to do? I want you to write a rap. I want you to write some lyrics about James. I want you to, to, to write a song about what you're going to do for him. And honestly, it even chokes me up to this day. It's quite an emotional story because I remember. So the, the police advisor came, the managing director of the centre came. So they were all expecting these kids to be kicking off, but they were in the studio rapping. And I've still got the song. Ironically, I've still got the song. And they were saying, we're going to look after you and whatnot, what have you. And then that's when it really kicked in for me. That these guys are not some hardened killers, but they're kids. They're kids. And that's when the passion for education really went into my spirit. Because I realised that if... I'm not saying just me. I'm not saying like I'm a hero or anything like that. But I'm saying that these people just needed someone to talk to. They needed someone to help them channel their, their hurt and their pain. And a lot of the times when we're dealing with some of these kids who are really dysregulated, who are really in a lot of problems, they don't have that person to talk to. They don't have those role models and those mentors to talk to. And I realised that in that particular case, it was a case of life and death. And, we, and potentially, I hazard to think that if, just imagine they come out of the centre, what would have happened? You know, this cycle of violence. I don't know. I left the centre. We've closed it, unfortunately. Not closed it, but my particular project ran out because... Um, funding 
I don't know what happened with those boys, to be absolutely honest with you. And I hope they've done well. But in that particular instance, I thought this was literally life and death. Literally life and death. Okay? And that's where the passion comes from. And that's why I became so interested in SEMH, social, emotional, mental health needs. I became so interested in SEM as well. And seeing that how we can help our young people. So that's the story I wanted to tell. And these guys were excluded from mainstream schools. And again, I am not, I am not going, because I've worked in both alternative provision and mainstream. And I know that the constraints that a lot of mainstream teachers have. So I'm not even going to go and say, it's mainstream teachers' fault, because it's not built for these young people. But I do believe that they need help and they need guidance and they need specific types of help from people and practitioners, practitioners who can invest that time in. Okay. So... Yeah, that really, that's what made me passionate about being an educator and really made me see the power of what we can do as, 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 as teachers and educators to change lives. So I wanted to come with a couple of talking points and questions. So please feel free to jump in at any point. So, oh, is someone at my door again? Yeah, it's me, it's me, Carl. As you're, usual. All, you're like a ninja. You just come <laughs> through the door. You know, <laughs> so it's what you're welcome, Lee. You're a friendly ninja. You're a friendly ninja. Please go for it. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to say that's a powerful, sto- that's a powerful story, you know. And I have a, um, not a similar story, Please, but go um, for it. a similar, a similar tale about education and the power of music mm. uh, in education. Like, I taught in a, a I've taught in prisons for like four mm. years and when I first started the music program wasn't wow. there uh, because they didn't have a music teacher the music teacher left and there was no music mm. program and a lot of the guys that was that had started the music program couldn't finish it and they were always getting these things called nickings they were getting negative IEPs which are like sanctions oh, wow. negative IEPs and things like that mm-hmm. and they just didn't want to do nothing else but the music mm-hmm. uh, and then because I, I hadn't told them but I knew we had music teacher but he mm-hmm. He was just getting set up and everything. So I said to them, mm-hmm. you're not going to get any music programs unless you do yeah, level two English because they didn't have GCSEs. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not going to let you do it. And they said, well, what's the point of doing it? Because we're not getting music anyway. And I said to them, look, we've hired a music teacher. I haven't told you, we've hired one. Mm-hmm. Get ahead of mm-hmm. the game now because everyone's going to want to do it. And the behavior of those lads mm-hmm. changed overnight. Because they had incentives, they had something to look forward to, um, and music is how mm-hmm. they, how they, like you said, they want to talk, but there's no one there to talk to them. There's no mm-hmm. one there on their level. Everyone's there to, to manage them and please them. There's no one there to engage mm-hmm. with them. Um, and I feel like that's that's why I did so well there because they felt like you made that want to engage. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, I just wanted to add on to what you said. Like, no, we, no, no, it's, it's it's brilliant. We need to, we need to look to engage with young people rather than just tell them what to do and believe them because then that gives them their avenues to, to, to express themselves and then we can start to understand what they're going through and how, how best to help them move in the right direction. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's beautiful. Thank you, Leon. You can come and break into my house anytime soon. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, actually don't. No, no I won't. Uh, uh, in America, I know they to stand your ground law. I don't know about the UK, but... Um... <laughs> Anyway, let's not get let's not get in trouble. No, Leon, you're absolutely right. What you'll find, I'm, I'm jumping a slightly ahead from one of my talking points, but what you'll find is that um, I think almost half, I think 45% of people that eventually go to prison have some form of special educational need. So if you've got a special educational need, you're seven to eight times more likely to end up in some form of incarceration, whether that's youth offenders or prison. 
Okay, so you're absolutely right. It's very important that we 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 address the needs of our young people. So yes, in terms of what I found is music. So as you said, when I was the needs coordinator, I had a lo- what I loved about that job is I had such flexibility, um, in regards to how we did the curriculum. So it was literally like the the MD was like, do whatever you need to do as long as they hit. So we had city and guilds we're using, and then we switched over to Asdan. It's like, so for example, with the city and I'm sure, I don't know if any of you in the audience are familiar with it, but with the city and guilds, it's basically, it was not so much about particular learning points in terms of of, of a subject, but it was particular um, markers or indicators of learning. So i.e. they can organize their work, i.e. they can um, do uh, show effective research and produce it in a way that people can can listen to. So that gave us so much flexibility. So we're making websites, we're making music, we're doing photography, we're doing writing. It was beautiful. It was actually beautiful. And it was very, very much holistic in the way that we um, did um, did that. So, no, thank you. You're right. You're absolutely right. And sometimes we do have to adjust. And I know, again, working from both sides of the fence, I've worked in mainstream, and I know how tricky it can be, especially with our curriculum being as prescriptive as it is. And we have to just hit those markers. You know, we just have to do it because, again, we're preparing them for a particular exam. But what I'm saying is that we need to, I feel like, anyway, I want to get myself into trouble. I'll say that maybe later. I'll say that later. Okay, so let's start with some talking points. I don't know for time. I know a lot of you are now trying to watch Cristiano Ronaldo. So I don't know how much time I've got, but let's just start with the talking points. So um, I was reading The Independent and it said, persistent disruptive behaviour remains the most common reason for pupils being expelled accounting to a third of permanent exclusions, I'd say a quarter. So that was the, what the independents say. So my first t- talking point and question I want to raise, um, raise to the audience who are here is do teachers get the right level of training to deal with disruptive behaviour? If not, what is needed? So let me launch into another story, okay? So if you don't know, if you don't know, now you know, but I'm not going to say that other word. Uh, tell me what song that's from, you should know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure that Tom Rogers had a heart attack uh, when I just said that. So um, the reason why, uh, anyway, let me not get myself in trouble. So the whole thing that what I do is called the Action Era Teacher. And I wrote a book um, about behavior management because I believed that schools are not adequately prepared to, to manage behavior. And I think now, as we are looking at what's happening across the land, and as I said, I speak to many teachers in the, my new role as a consultant, um, I speak to head teachers, I speak to, to senior leaders, and a lot of them are saying the same thing. Since after COVID, kids have become out of control, all right? A lot of people have said the same thing. And I think what happened is COVID has just exposed the flaws in the system for me. Um, the reason why I became as proficient as I did in terms of my behavior management is not because I'm extraordinary. I know I'm a very handsome, charming man. I know that. That's what my wife says every day. No, she doesn't. But anyway... <laughs> But the reason why I became as proficient as I did in in terms of my behavior management skills is because I didn't go through the traditional route. I didn't go through the PGC route. I went through the lifelong learning route or the further education route. I started off, as I said, if you haven't guessed, as a youth worker, not a teacher. So I got some fantastic training from CAMS, which are the Child Adolescent Mental Health Services. I got fantastic training from the YOT team, so the Youth Offending Team, which was for the police, for Matrix, so on and so forth. I also happened to do a lot of jobs um, very strange jobs as well. I was a charity mugger. I don't know if any of you know who that is, a charity mugger. So I was that guy, you know, you know, you know who they are. They stand in the city centres, they spot their prey, you're walking, you, you know, you, you've had a hard day at work, you just want to go and get your McDonald's. And there I am, staring at you in the distance. 
and I've spotted you. It's like, you know, like the wildlife programs, like natural, na- National Geographic where the lion spots the antelope. And you think, oh, gosh, Carl's coming to bother me. And I go, excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, um, sir. Do you want to sign up? No, 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 no. And you're all just, you know, you're doing weird things. Like you're trying to block me like it's Mortal Kombat or you're pretending to be on the phone. I was one of those guys. I would suggest everybody does that job. It makes you so resilient. <laughs> but again, b- believe it or not, being a charity mugger, you get a lot of training on human psychology and stuff like that. So when I went into mainstream's um, uh, education, I was really shocked that my PGC colleagues did not have that level of training. I was very, very shocked. And again, it's from my naivety because I presumed everybody had the level of training I did. But I remember speaking to one um, NQT, now it's an ECT, ABC123. So I remember speaking to one ECT and I, I said to her, because she was like, wow, she was like really marveled at the way I spoke to certain young people. I was like, wow, how did you do that? And I was like, don't you get this training on your PGC? He goes, no. This is what she said. I'll never forget. She goes, we got something like a two-week module about behavior management and basically tell them to take off their jackets and clap your hands and that's it. And I'm going, really? That's the only training you've got? And I said, no, that might be just your provider. But when I spoke to many, many ECTs and I spoke to many, many different types, um, t- different teachers, it's a familiar story. But my thing is, maybe I'm being weird, is if you cannot build up a relationship with a young person, it does not matter how clever you are because they're not going to want to listen to you. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I always felt that relationships are, are more important relationships are more important than than just giving the, the the curriculum giving the learning because if you think about you guys think about it yourself think about the greatest teachers you ever had in your life right the best teachers the ones that you remember forever most of the time the reason why you like that teacher is not because of the particular subject i'm not discounting it but it's the way they taught you it's the relationship they had with you and i've done this up and down the country as i've done trainings and i always ask who is your favorite teacher and why why is this person your favorite teacher? And eight or seven out of 10 times they say, because the way they treated me, they made me believe that I could do the subject. They were firm, but they were fair. They were kind to me. They encouraged me. That's not academic. That's, that's more pastoral. So we all know this. I'm sure you guys as well, you've worked for, for managers. Think of the best managers you've had. The best managers that you've ever had were people that knew how to deal with people. If you have a great manager, you'll run through the wall for them. You will climb up buildings for, your, for, for that person. So I don't know why we've got this thing in education where it's just like, oh, let's just give them the curriculum and they've got to learn because it's their job. And I'm not going to mention names. I was on a, on a panel with a particular individual who's quite famous. He's quite famous and I'm not going to mention any names. And he was basically like, you've got to do as they, they, forget their needs. We are teachers and they've got to listen to us and you just got to have the right system in place. And I did think, it did bother me a bit. It's like, but we're human beings as well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I welcome any of you to challenge me. But I've always found that you've got to build a relationship with the the young people that you teach. If you can build those relationships, then you'll find that the actual giving of the curriculum or whatever your subject is will be so much easier. That's just my opinion anyway. I could be wrong. I'm not the font of all knowledge. I am not the Cristiano Ronaldo of Teacher Talk Radio. I am just me, Carl C. Pupe, (laughs) F-R-I-C. But I do feel that teachers do need, and especially in this time, another thing is, another thing that I want to add to it is that this generation is so much different from any generation that have come before, or generations, plural, you know. This generation is 
for the, the, in fact, the two generations that we currently have in the education system, the older lot, the ones that are in secondary school, are known as Generation Z. I'm sure you've heard that term. So they're from 2000. Let me get it right. So from 1998, if they were born in 1998 to 2010, they're known as Generation Z. And anything after 2010 is known as Generation Alpha. These guys are the first human generation to never know what it was like to not have the internet. I remember when the internet first came. I don't know about any of you. I remember that was, it was mind-blowing. It's like I type something in the computer and it tells me what it is. And I'll never forget my first ever uh, Google was for Street Fighter. At that time, I was a Street Fighter fanatic, the, the, the computer game. And it showed me all the characters. I was like, this is some form of magic. This is some devilish magic here. <laughs> it was honestly mind-blowing. The first time I ever got the internet. It took about two hours to load the page. But anyway... I tried to explain that to the kids about dial-up and AOL. Anybody else had that experience? AOL, that annoying ringing tone. That was annoying. And then my mum used to go on the phone with the aunties. And that's the thing. It would just kill your, your search. <laughs> my mum would just be screaming at me and say, come off the phone. I'm like, oh, you're on the internet, the webs. I was like, mum, get with the program. Broadband changed the game. So this is a generation. And why this is so important, especially if we look at things like social media, is that the line between those who govern, those that are, who are at the top, and those who are being governed, i.e. us, whether it's celebrities, politicians, is so, the line has become so thin. Let me give you an example. Right now I can go on my phone and I can tweet Rishi Sunak and say, you and your mum can, beep, 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 beep. I hate you, blah, blah, blah. We have never had the access we have to the people at the top that we do have now. It's impossible. If I went 100 years ago and I shouted at Winston Churchill, and said, you know what, you and your mum can whatnot, I will get a right good kick in, right? I'll get a right good kick in. You wouldn't even dream of doing that. If we go 300 years back in the past, people got locked in the Tower of London for upsetting the king or the queen. Imagine that. We, we, it's a museum, but that was an actual penitentiary. Tower of London. You'll find yourself in there, me and Tom Rogers, for saying the wrong things. That's what had actually happened. So why that is important is this authoritarian diadeical, I'm going to lecture my kid and you you sit down and be quiet, like most 80s teachers. Be quiet, sit down, do as you're told. You know, when they're spitting and the spit goes in your face and you can smell the coffee that they had on their breath. You can't do that anymore. That, that's long gone. I'm sorry. You, you come, on the, come on the show if you disagree with me. It's not, it's not going to work with these kids anymore because these kids are the most empowered generation of young people in human history. Their phones are weapons of mass distraction and destruction. We've seen what's happened. I'm not going to name the school, but there was a school last year in West London who tried to put a very unpopular um, policy in and the kids just went on the phones and they tweeted and they made memes. And I'll never forget, it was on um, Good Morning Television with Richard and Judy or Richard Medley anyway, not Judy. And he said that these guys with their mobile phones have better tools than marketing departments or brands 20 years ago to make the graphics and the memes and whatnot. So if you come with that type of attitude with your young people, it can backfire very badly, very, very, very badly. So I believe that we have to adapt now. The, the, the school system is so, it's not moved on from its Victorian roots, okay? It's not moved on from its Victorian roots. And I think we need to be disrupted. I'm being very controversial. I hope, you know, Tom Rogers doesn't throw me off the radio. I'm, I'm going to say the truth. We need to be disrupted. The way that we do things is not, it's not, I don't think it's fit for the information age anymore. 
it's not fit for the information age. So I think that relationships are absolutely key. They're absolutely key. Okay. Now, another talking point. Time. Time is going. For, I've only got 20 minutes left. I've been talking that long. Haha. <laughs> okay. Time. So let's move on. So another talking point. According to the Institute of Public Policy Research Study, uh, uh, sorry, according to, I'm reading my notes. I write like a doctor. My wife complains. She goes, you know what? You should just give your notes to like a treasure hunter. They will think it's like some cipher or something. Anyway, so let's read it again. Put the glasses on. So <laughs> according to a, a public policy research study by Kieran Gill, okay, excluded children are seven times more likely to have special educational needs and 10 times more likely to have social, emotional, and mental health needs. Should schools radically change their operating model to support our most vulnerable students? If so, what needs to change? I've got very strong opinions. Tom Rogers might agree, disagree with me. I think he might agree. I don't know. He's the boss. But I'm going to say it anyway. I think that we need to, and I think I've already hinted at it, the way that our school system is run at the moment, we all know what it's about. We teach to, teach to the test. And I know, again, there's going to be a lot of commentators that's going to come for my nick. And I'm going to be just like Will Smith. I'm just going to be like, keep my name out of your mind. Anyway, I won't be like Will Smith. I won't do that. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> He's been cancelled. He's been cancelled. Let me not make sure I get cancelled. But I do believe that we are in a, a very dangerous position in terms of our ed education system. This thing of teaching to the test, because we have got a mental health time bomb on our hands, ladies and gentlemen and people. If you look at the latest statistics from um, oh, Young Minds, I believe it's Young Minds, the Young Minds charity, they're saying that before, in 2018, 2019, they said that one in six children would have some form of mental health crisis. Now they're saying, or mental health challenge, should I say, between the ages of, I think, 10 to 21. Now they're saying it's one in four, one in three. Okay. What has happened over Corona? What has happened with the lockdowns? Cost of living? These things are going to have monumental effects on our young people. And the, the rhetoric of just teaching the curriculum and just teaching to the test I think that it might be letting down a lot of these young people, okay? And I might be being very controversial, but I do believe the government did promise, I think, two, three years ago that they would put some more money behind mental health and um, uh, more mental health. So I think they were talking about putting more counsellors, more therapists into school. I remember that because I was the pastoral lead at the time. But we didn't see that ha happening. And again, this is not a pop at the government, or maybe it is a pop at the government. But we have got a lot of young people who are failing to cope with what's going on. So I'll give you another story. Because I love stories. I love stories. I remember um, it, was, it was exam season. It was exam season. And um, we were having exams in the hall. Remember those days? We've only had them recently back since COVID. But that was always fun, invigilating. So once you lose your year 11s, you're stuck in a hall. You, you want to get those free periods for yourself, but you can't do it. They always catch you. I tried to hide, but they always got me to the point where... <laughs> Anyway, let me not get myself in trouble. My manager would literally come and hunt me because I was always like, yeah, I'll go in and vigilate. And I was like, nah. Anyway, I was a naughty boy. But I'll never forget, there was a one particular girl. I didn't teach her, but I knew her very well. Let's just call her, her name um, Rita. Girl was absolutely wonderful. She was delightful, very well behaved. She was a dream to teach. But one thing I did notice with her, she, that she did have some form of anxiety. She had some form of anxiety. She... Um, you know, she, she, she would get really nervous and she was really hard on herself. She was really hard on herself to achieve. Cut a long story short, we're all in the exam hall. She passed out. She fainted. She, she fainted. 
she started crying and then she just literally passed out in the chair. It was kind of a surreal moment. Everything had to stop. You know, she, when I say passed out, she was not like unconscious, but she was just incoherent. So we went to speak to her after that event. We managed to obviously speak to the exam board, explain everything that happened. And she was just like, it was the pressure. It was the pressure. It's just like facing that exam paper. It's the pressure. And the, 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 the hilarious thing about the story is, or not so much the hilarious thing, the interesting thing about the story was this girl was getting like 90%. She was getting like, um, you know, the top grades in our class. But she felt under so much pressure, so much pressure to, to achieve and to succeed, you know. And I always thought, especially when I started teaching my classes going forward, is to try and do things that alleviate the pressure, that try and do things to help our young people. Because these things are very, very important. And I think now, and especially I left teaching um, at the beginning of this academic year, I left teaching. It did make me sad when I thought about what these young people have to face. So again, please chime in. Let me know what you think about it. But I do believe that we have to take these things into account. And again, we're seeing a mass exodus of teachers. This is not only about students. We talk about uh, mental health and well-being in our schools. But, you know, when we look at the mass exodus of people that are leaving the profession, you know, every time I go on Twitter and I go into Edu Twitter, I'm seeing quite prolific people people that I either followed or were friends with saying, I've left the profession. I can't deal with it anymore. It's just too much pressure. You know, we have to factor that in. We have to change the way we're doing things because we're now in a real crisis. I think, I don't know, it was it the NASWAT, head of NASWAT, the union was saying that basically um, we're not even filling the training places for teaching. I think it's the second or third year in a row that now we're with the, the, the government are looking at schemes of getting teachers in from abroad because we're not filling our quotas. Teaching is not becoming attractive. And the reason being is, again, the pressure, the time that we don't have to do things. That's part of the reasons why I left teaching, traditional teaching, because it was no longer about me getting to know the kids and, you know, really building those relationships. It was about this initiative and that initiative and this tick box and that tick box that I had to do. You know, it was really, really difficult. So I think that we need to address that. Let's go into talking point three, shall we? Okay. I'm going to beat the drum. Oh, is somebody coming in? Somebody coming in? No, I thought somebody was at my door. I have no control over the door, ladies and gentlemen. So anybody can come in. Okay. Another issue might make me unpopular, but I'm going to talk about it. So there was a report by uh, David Lammy, who is this, uh, the shadow justice secretary. Uh, and this was in 2020, I believe, according to my notes. So he was asked to look at the, um, uh, the whole system, the criminal justice system, look at ways that he can, um, uh, or what the government can do to improve the criminal justice system. And according to, the, to what I looked up, over half the UK's male youth offenders are from a global majority background at 51%. Also, black and gypsy Roman and traveller children are four times more likely to be excluded from schools, okay? So I'll say it again. Over half the UK's male offenders in 2020 are from global majority backgrounds. And black and Roman gypsy, uh, gypsy Roma traveller children are four times more likely to be excluded from school. What is happening to these particular groups and how can it be fixed? Okay. Again, I'm going to probably say things that might be unpopular, but I, I'm going to say them anyway. We know, especially traditionally, if we're looking at... And again, I'm sure in your schools you hear this all the time. Right, it's not alien. I remember when I was in my school, every September it was the same conversations. 
when we look at the statistics, black Caribbean children, or especially black Caribbean boys, were seven times more likely to be excluded from school. Um, again, the, the, the white working class boys were, were are likely, and that's starting to creep up as well in regards to statistics. And again, it, it's another piece of evidence for me that we need to adapt our education system. We need to adapt our education system because there is a particular problem. And I think this is where EDI is very, sorry, um, quality, diversity and inclusion training is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. After what happened with um, Black Lives Matter, not after what happened, but after George Floyd's murder and obviously the great movement that was Black Lives Matter, um, what we saw was a lot of, um, it's not only in education, we're talking across the board, where there was a lot of companies and other institutions like the police, fire service, the government that said, look, we need to look at the way we are excluding. And again, it's not only, when I say um, it's not only black, we're looking at um, send as well, we're looking at disabilities because we do not live, unfortunately, in a fair society or a fair world. And there were a lot of policies that were put into place or a lot of pledges, but it seems like a lot of these things have dried up. Okay? And what has ended up happening, talking to colleagues who work in this space, is that, again, a lot of institutions and schools will say, okay, they'll start charters and say, we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to do this. But unfortunately, they don't have the, the actual systems that, under, that, that need to be put into place that, that should underpin what they pledge. So it's the equivalent of me saying, I want to lose weight. I want a beach body of Love Island. I want six packs of all sorts. But then I don't do any exercise. So what I do is my exercises, I run for one minute and that's it. So they're not pushing hard enough. And we do have a particular issue in our schooling systems. One of the things, and again, another interesting story, and this is a true story, by the way, is that there is discrimination. There is uh, a lack of understanding. And when we talk about things like racism or we talk about discrimination, and I'll tell you another story as well, people think that racism is calling people the N-word or being very mean or effusive, but sometimes we can discriminate without even knowing that we're discriminating. And I remember when I first wrote the Action Hero Teacher, I'll never forget this. I had the idea. I spoke to one of my mates, a colleague who happened to be black like myself. And he said, Carl, that's a brilliant idea. That's an awesome idea what you're going to do. But he said, don't waste your time to write it. I was confused. This was lunchtime. I'm going to spat out my, my Fanta. So like, what the hell are you talking about, mate? And he goes, because you're a black male. You are a black male. And they're not going to respect you in education. You're not going to be respected. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And when I did go and do some research, there's very few black males or very few people that look like me and talk like me who are writing in education. And that made me, because I'm a stubborn old goat, I said, you know what? I am going to do it anyway. But that's the problem. Now, luckily for me, because of the position I'm in, I do get to be called to a lot of places, a lot of tables where conversations are taking place. And, you know, I'm very thankful and I'm very, very grateful for that. But again, when I go into these spaces, there's not people that look like me or talk like me. And it's not just about me. It's not just about being black, but there's, there's not diversity. And we need as much as we need diversity of color, we need diversity of thought and people that have got different opinions. Oh, somebody's at the door. Who's at the door? Who's at the door? Hi, Carl, it's Gareth. Hello, Gareth. <clears throat> okay. There's so many points you've said in this this evening that are very poignant. Um, I was listening to Nathan and um, Mrs Lloyd on their podcast earlier. Was it this week or previous week? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. But the, you said about the system needs to change in terms of what um, provision is in place and everything's driven to the curriculum 
Mm-hmm. I was talking to some colleagues the other day that that weighting needs to be given equally to the social and emotional skills and development. Absolutely. That we were talking in specific reference to one particular learner that they're having persistent problems with. But I said, mm-hmm. unless you look at what's going on around that child, it's not going to change. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you keep punishing him and keep punishing him and keep him in his playtime and so on. That's not going to change the situation. It's just going to further embed his his um, disengagement learning. And you said about relationships as well. But the, the, the curriculum and language maths and so on needs to have equal measure with, with that relationship basis and social emotional skills. Absolutely, Gareth. I agree. I, I totally agree. Obviously, I, I don't obviously can't say names of schools and whatnot. But no. if, if you don't mind me, of course. But if you don't mind me asking, with this particular um, learner, what, what behaviours was he showing that, uh, and you said they were, he was getting persistent sanctions, what, what type of behaviours? Were they extreme behaviours or were they just, you know, the standard low disruption stuff? Um, uh, a bit subjective, I think, sometimes, in terms sure. of some of the conversations we have. But I think it was more about verbal refusal, mm. um, vocalising, mm-hmm. maybe swearing, yes, but nothing too high i think you thought about that persistent um mm. possibly not low level but that persistent mm. persistent disruption and not accessing his learning well mm. i'd be asking the question but why why does anyone access his learning mm, absolutely and that's gareth no i really appreciate that it's, it's really powerful what you've just said because um that was one of the things when i, I recently my most recent po- post was i was an alternative provision lead in a school and it was very much like, we're going to give you a unit and we're going to give you all these things. I was like, first thing, we're not going to call it a unit. It sounds like a prison. I don't want to call it a unit. Because, it, again, I, and I love what you said about the language and the way that we deal, the nuance. Because what you've brought to, with your comment is you've brought nuance to the conversation where you are asking yourself the question, what is going on with this young person's life? And unfortunately, I've been in many places where it's very much like, you know what, he's not listening, out of the room. And you're like, why, why are you not asking the question? if that makes any sense. And of course, there are limits to that. I'm not saying if somebody brings a gun or a knife, it's like, why did he bring a gun or a knife to school? Of course, that's, that's something, com- that's extreme. But when you're dealing with, with learners like that, it's, it's really powerful. Now, thank you, Gareth. I appreciate that. I, I thank you. Really, really pertinent point. And again, that's what I try and teach um, people to do is ask the questions that Gareth asks. Why are they doing this? I mean, there was, you know, if you've got a kid, and I, I tried to say this when I, when I, when I train teachers as well, if a kid is really emotionally dysregulated and, you know, they come, you know, and we all know this, I'll give you a scenario. So just say you're in class, you say to the kid, you know, put your phone away, just sit down, blah, blah, blah. Shut up! F you! And you're like, oh my God, what? oh my God, what happened to him? What? What's, going, what's going wrong with him if it's like that, right? Clearly, it's, it's beyond just behavior. Some of those children are suffering from trauma. I've, I've, Dealt with children that have PTSD. Sorry, forgive me. I have a frog in my throat. I hate when that happens. I feel like something's trying to climb out of my throat. <coughs> Let me just take a sip of water. Sorry. Mm. Oh, thank you, water. You know, some of these children, when we think of PTSD, we think like PTSD is only, you know, people that go to war, things like that. But if you're living in a very, um, if you're living in a, you know, in, a, in extreme circumstances, I, you know, if you've got somebody who's dealing with, you know, DV, for example, sorry, domestic violence, you know, and you've got maybe a father or even a mother. Because I don't want to be, uh, I don't, I don't want to. Again, it's more likely to be a man, but also women can do this as well. Their nervous system is lighting up like a Christmas tree every single day, and what ends up happening is they end up projecting on you because you're the only safe adult. They know they can swear at you and shout at you, not because of you, John, or you, Tom, or you, Carl. It's because 
they, when they go home, they know if they've treated the adult in the house that way, that could end in violence. That can end really badly. So where, what needs to happen there is we need to, rather than just punitively punish that young man, as Gareth was saying, you keep on punishing him, you reinforce that behaviour. So we need to look at what can we do to help that young person come out of that negativity cycle. And again, with that, that's an extreme because obviously you'll need, that's child protection, that's safeguarding. So possibly you're going to have to get the local authority involved. You might have to get a, a counsellor involved. But what I'm saying is asking those questions. And the sad, sad thing about it is, as I said, so we, we, it's not only, and again, when we look at, I think the statistics where 45% of inmates have special educational needs, 45%. And again, because of the way our system was designed, it's called the school to prison pipeline. We do, we're not, I shouldn't say, I don't want to, it's not individual teachers, but our system is designed to basically churn out the grades, make sure that they get the right grades. But we need to do a lot better than that. All right, because time is going, I wanted to go on to my last talking point. All right, unless anybody wants to add onto that, and thank you for listening for so long. I know you want to get back to the football, and then we've got, we've got, we've got uh, five minutes to do that. So my last talking point, what I wanted to talk about, was how, what can we do? What can we do to change the system? How can we make it better for the people that we teach? So Carl, if I was the education secretary, I don't even know who the education secretary is anymore. I don't know if any of you know. Does anybody know who it is? We seem to change them every five minutes. I can't keep up. I don't know who it is. I need to actually Google who it is. <laughs> there was one education secretary she left on her first day. I don't know. I absolutely am confused who the education secretary is. So anyway, forgive me. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Jillian Key. Thank you very much. <laughs> Only because I Googled it. <laughs> exactly. We've had like five education secretaries. Somebody sent me a funny meme. I'll, I'll never forget. It's like... um. King Charles, he said, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to butcher it, but King Charles has already had three prime ministers for this, a war, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, all these different things compared to his mum, you know, the Queen Elizabeth, because he's hit the ground running, hasn't he, Prince Charles? Or King Charles, should I say? You know, so I was, anyway, I butchered that. Forgive me. Comedy's not my forte. But, Carl, there's, you know, I've said all these things. I've given, you know, the education, the right act. What things do we need to do? So, how do we improve this? How do we improve exclusions? How do we sort this out? How do we make it a more fair society? The thing is, we talk about it like it's a unicorn, but there's several systems around the world that are already doing this. They're already doing these things, all right? It's not impossible. It's not a dream. It's not a utopia. It's just we need the will. So if you look at the Scandinavian models, which are being so fetid by everybody, you know, where the Scandinavian model, from my understanding, I could be completely wrong and jump in if you, if you to correct me. But the, the emphasis is less on, no, I shouldn't say the emphasis is less on, of course, it's about the academic rigor and the skills, but they, um, in the equivalent of year 10 and year 11, they have um, projects, I think it's like 50% or 30% where it's based on real world things. So for example, in year 10, part of what you might do is either start a business or you start a group or a petition or whatnot. And yes, I know we do that in PSHE, right? But it's, it's, more, it's given more weight in these particular countries where they want them to be prepared for the real world. So we need some more real world um, experiential learning, okay? Because I do believe that, you know, and I said this last week on the previous show, that the, the, the consistent just, you know, teaching to the test is not helping them, especially in this particular generation, all right? This particular generation, I think one of the key skills our young people are going to have to learn is learn how to learn and unlearn and relearn. Let me say that again. Learn unlearn and relearn 
So what Google are doing at the moment is Google, um, I don't know how far they've got with it, but they announced that they, they don't want to just look at people with degrees anymore because degrees don't actually tell them anything, right? That's what, they, that's what, according to Google. So what they want to do with their employees is they put them on six months courses, intensive courses, whether it's coding or management or whatnot, and they get somebody who's actually in the job to test them, all right, or to, um, to give them the skills. And they said that's more of a realistic um, it's more of a, it's more realistic than te- you know studying a course for three four years because I remember one of them said, especially in computing, by the time you finish your degree, that language that you learnt for university is probably outdated. You know, so these are the things we need some more um, experiential learning, more life skills. And when I talk to my young people, when I used to teach my young people, they said, "Why don't we learn about a mortgage? Why don't we learn about personal finance? Why don't we learn about these things?" And again. I've had arguments with people on Twitter. They say, yeah, but you learn that in, you know, PSHE and stuff like that. But I'm like, no, it needs more rigor. That's number one. That's what I'll do. Number one. Number two, we need to increase funding for mental health. Mark my words. I'm telling you the truth. You're going to remember this in three or four years time. We are sitting on a time bomb, a mental health time bomb for our young people. It is, it, and it's not only for our young people. I'd say for our teachers as well. The education system, unless this current government does something, is really in trouble. It's in trouble. It's creaking at the seams. It's, I feel like it's almost like a sinking ship. There are so many people I know, and they said now 50% of teachers, after training, 50% of teachers, especially, no, sorry, let me get it right, 40% for people outside of the big cities and 50% for people that teach in inner cities are looking to quit after they train. I don't know, and again, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, any other uh, industry where 50% of the workforce want to quit as soon as they go in there, 50%, there's a problem. There's a big problem. So I think we need to do some more things around well-being for our young people. We need to do some more things about well-being for um, our teachers as well. And again, our wage, the wages are not um, rising with inflation. I was listening to LBC. So I'm jumping on my high horse again. Time's on my stop. I promise I'll be done in five minutes. Um, I was listening to LBC and there was a teacher who was, I think, a head of department. He was a head of department. I think he said he was a science teacher who said now he's taking, he's moonlighting as an Uber driver. And he said he, his salary, I think he said he was earning, you know, a decent salary, 40s, 50s, possibly, I think something 50s. But he said because of the mortgage increase, his mortgage has increased 500 pounds um, over the last month. Council tax has increased. He's got dependents. He's the breadwinner. He has to go and take a second job. Whereas if you go and look in other countries, teachers get, I think somebody was telling me in Sweden or Norway, teachers get parity because they respect teachers with, 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 with really um, high positions like an administration or banking. I don't know about banking, but they definitely get parity because they respect their teachers. So we need to address that. We need some more EDI training. And I think we need, I know it's touchy and feely, but we do need to look at some things around mental health. We do need to look at things around that. And I think we definitely need to talk more about money and talk about, especially in these times, um, because of what's happening, um, the OECD. Is it the OECD? Basically, it's the office that looks at GDP and all the things and the, the, the country's basically um, financial health said that this is where we're hitting now the lowest living standards since war, World War II. I can't believe it. We're not even in a world war. And again, we could talk about the coronavirus and all those types of things, but money is going to become a big problem. And I think we need to start talking about it and helping our young people with it. Okay, guys, I've gone two minutes over my time. This was what part two of a special season of shows that I agreed. Tom Rogers, that slippery genius, that silver-tongued angel of a man. He um, 
he, he persuaded me, or should I say, I'm, I'm honoured, actually. Thank you, Tom, uh, if you're still in the room. I'm honoured. He persuaded me to do two shows with um, uh, Teach Talk Radio. I'm very, very honoured. And I've come to the end of my run, so I don't know. So um, in the future, maybe we're going to negotiate. I'm going to come to that negotiating table with uh, Tom. It feels very much like football management now. Uh, <laughs> I spoke to my agent and he said, though, you know, I've been playing well. I've been doing very well. Uh, and we'll play the football, you know. I feel like very much like a football agent. Uh, I talk to my people. But we'll see in the year if we can do some more. I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, guys, please spread the word. And thank you so much for your time. You could be watching the football. I've missed all the football. I don't even know what the score is. But you could have been watching the football, but you're here with me. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. If I don't see you or speak to you, have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. And you guys, the last thought I want to say, Jerry Springer style, take care of yourself and each other. But seriously, you guys, you do a fantastic job as teachers and educators. It is tough times, honestly. It is really, really tough times. There's so many people that I know who want to quit the profession, and they don't want to do it anymore, and they've had enough. So the fact that you guys are still in it, you're still fighting a good fight, never forget you make a difference. You genuinely do. So thank you very much for your times. Have a very lovely evening. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the football. It's, it's coming on. It's coming on. That's all I want to say. It's coming on. <laughs> Take care.